0: Tonight, I will be reading from Grimm's Fairy Tales, Tom Thumb. So lie down, close your eyes, and let me read you a story. A poor woodman sat in his cottage one night, smoking his pipe by the fireside, while his wife sat by his side, spinning. How lonely it is, wife, said he, as he puffed out a long curl of smoke, for you and me to sit here by ourselves, without any children to play about and amuse us, while other people seem so happy and merry with their children. What you say is very true, said the wife, sighing, and turning round her wheel. How happy should I be if I had but one child? If it were ever so small, nay, If it were no bigger than my thumb, I should be very happy and love it dearly. Now, odd as you may think it, it came to pass that this good woman's wish was fulfilled, just in the very way she had wished it. For not long afterwards she had a little boy, who was quite healthy and strong, but was not much bigger than my thumb. So they said, well, we cannot say we have not got what we wished for, and little as he is, we will love him dearly. And they called him Thomas Thumb. They gave him plenty of food, yet for all they could do, he never grew bigger, but kept just the same size that he had been when he was born. Still, his eyes were sharp and sparkling, and he soon showed himself to be a clever little fellow, who always knew well what he was about. One day, as the woodman was getting ready to go into the wood to cut fuel, he said, I wish I had someone to bring the cart after me, for I want to make haste. Oh, father, cried Tom, I will take care of that. The cart shall be in the wood by the time you want it. Then the woodman laughed and said, How can that be? You cannot reach up to the horse's bridle. Never mind that, father, said Tom. If my mother will only harness the horse, I will get into his ear and tell him which way to go. Well, said the father, we will try for once. When the time came, the mother harnessed the horse to the cart and put Tom into his ear. And as he sat there, the little man told the beast how to go, crying out, go on and stop as he wanted. And thus the horse went on just as well as if the woodman had driven it himself into the wood. It happened that as the horse was going a little too fast and Tom was calling out, gently, gently, two strangers came up. What an odd thing that is, said one. There is a cart going along, and I hear a carter talking to the horse, but yet I can see no one. That is strange indeed, said the other. Let us follow the cart and see where it goes. So they went on into the wood, till at last they came to the place where the woodman was. Then Tom Thumb, seeing his father, cried out, See, father, here I am with the cart, all right and safe. Now take me down. So his father took hold of the horse with one hand, and with the other he took his son out of the horse's air and put him down upon a straw where he sat as merry as you please. The two strangers were looking on this whole time and did not know what to say for wonder. At last one took the other aside and said, that little urchin will make our fortune if we can get him and carry him about from town to town as a show. We must buy him. So they went up to the woodman and asked what he would take for the little man. He will be better off, said they, with us than with you. I won't sell him at all, said the father. My own flesh and blood is dearer to me than all the silver and gold in the world. But Tom, hearing of the bargain they wanted to make, crept up his father's coat to his shoulder and whispered in his ear, Take the money, father, and let them have me. I'll soon come back to you. So the woodman at last said he would sell Tom to the strangers for a large piece of gold, and they paid the price. Where would you like to sit? said one of them. Oh, put me on the rim of your hat. That will be a nice gallery for me. I can walk about there and see the country as we go along. So they did as he wished, and when Tom had taken leave of his father, they took him away with them. They journeyed on till it began to be dusky, And then the little man said, let me get down, I'm tired. So the man took off his hat and put him down on a clod of earth in a ploughed field by the side of the road. But Tom ran about amongst the furrows and at last slipped into an old mouse hole. Good night, my master, said he, I'm off. Mind and look sharp after me the next time. Then they ran at once to the place and poked the ends of their sticks into the mouse hole but all in vain. Tom only crawled further and further in, and at last it became quite dark, so they were forced to go their way without their prize, as sulky as could be. When Tom found they were gone, he came out of his hiding place. What dangerous walking it is, said he, in this ploughed field. If I were to fall from one of these great clods, I should undoubtedly break my neck. At last, by good luck, he found a large, empty snail shell. This is lucky, said he. I can sleep very well here. And in he crept. Just as he was falling asleep, he heard two men passing by chatting together, and one said to the other, How can we rob that rich parson's house of his silver and gold? I'll tell you, cried Tom. What noise was that? said the thief, frightened. I'm sure I heard someone speak. They stood still, listening, and Tom said, Take me with you, and I'll soon show you how to get the parson's money. But where are you? said they. Look about on the ground, answered he, and listen where the sound comes from. At last, the thieves found him out, and lifted him up in their hands. You little urchin, they said, what can you do for us? Why, I can get between the iron window bars of parson's house, and throw you out whatever you want. That's a good thought, said the thieves. Come along. We shall see what you can do. When they came to the parson's house, Tom slipped through the window bars into the room and then called out as loud as he could bawl. Will you have all that is here? At this, the thieves were frightened and said, Softly, softly, speak low, that you may not awaken anybody. But Tom seemed as if he did not understand them and bawled out again. How much will you have? Shall I throw it all out? Now the cook lay in the next room and hearing a noise she raised herself up in her bed and listened. Meantime the thieves were frightened and ran off a little way but at last they plucked up their hearts and said the little urchin is only trying to make fools of us. So they came back and whispered softly to him saying now let us have no more of your roguish jokes but throw us out some of the money. Then Tom called out as loud as he could. Very well. Hold out your hands, here it comes. The cook heard this quite plain, so she sprang out of bed and ran to open the door. The thieves ran off as if a wolf was at their tails, and the maid, having groped about and found nothing, went away for a light. By the time she came back, Tom had slipped off into the barn, and when she had looked about and searched every hole and corner and found nobody, she went to bed thinking she must have been dreaming with her eyes open. The little man crawled about in the hayloft and at last found a snug place to finish his night's rest in, so he laid himself down, meaning to sleep till daylight, and then find his way home to his father and mother. But alas, how woefully he was undone! But crosses and sorrows happened to us all in this world. The cook got up early, before daybreak, to feed the cows, and going straight to the hayloft carried away a large bundle of hay, with a little man in the middle of it, fast asleep. He still, however, slept on, and did not awake till he found himself in the mouth of the cow. For the cook had put the hay into the cow's rick, and the cow had taken Tom up in a mouthful of it. Could lackaday, said he, how came I to tumble into the mill? But he soon found out where he really was, was forced to have all his wits about him, that they might not get between the cow's teeth and so be crushed to death. At last, down he went into her stomach. It is rather dark, said he. They forgot to build windows in this room to let the sun in. A candle would be no bad thing. Though he made the best of his bad luck, he did not like his quarters at all, and the worst of it was that more and more hay was always coming down and the space left for him became smaller and smaller. At last, he cried out as loud as he could, Don't bring me any more hay. Don't bring me any more hay. The maid happened to be just then milking the cow, and hearing someone speak, but seeing nobody, and yet being quite sure it was the same voice that she had heard in the night, she was so frightened that she fell off her stool and overset the milk pail. As soon as she could pick herself up Out of the dirt, she ran off as fast as she could to her master, the parson, and said, Sir, sir, the cow is talking. But the parson said, Woman, thou art surely mad. However, he went with her into the cowhouse to try and see what was the matter. Scarcely had they set foot on the threshold when Tom called out, Don't bring me any more hay. Then the parson himself was frightened, and thinking the cow was surely bewitched, told his man, to kill her on the spot. So the cow was killed and cut up, and the stomach, in which Tom lay, was thrown out upon a dunghill. Tom soon set himself to work to get out, which was not a very easy task, but at last, just as he had made room to get his head out, fresh ill luck befell him. A hungry wolf sprang out and swallowed up the whole stomach with Tom in it at one gulp and ran away. Tom, however, was still not disheartened, and thinking the wolf would not dislike having some chat with him as he was going along, he called out, My good friend, I can show you a famous treat. Where's that? said the wolf. In such and such a house, said Tom, describing his own father's house. You can crawl through the drain, into the kitchen, and then into the pantry, and there you will find cakes, ham, beef, cold chicken, roast pig, apple dumplings, and everything that your heart can wish. The wolf did not want to be asked twice, so that very night he went to the house and crawled through the drain into the kitchen and then into the pantry and ate and drank there to his heart's content. As soon as he had had enough, he wanted to get away, but he had eaten so much that he could not go out by the same way he had come in. This was just what Tom had reckoned upon and now he began to set up a great shout, making all the noise he could. "'Will you be easy?' said the wolf. "'You'll awaken everybody in the house "'if you make such a clatter.' "'What's that to me?' said the little man. "'You've had your frolic. "'Now I've a mind to be merry myself.' And he began singing and shouting as loud as he could. The woodman and his wife, being awakened by the noise, peeped through a crack in the door, when they saw Wolf was there, he may well suppose that they were sadly frightened. And the woodman ran for his axe and gave his wife a scythe. Do stay behind, said the woodman, and when I have knocked him on the head you must rip him up with the scythe. Tom heard all this and cried out, Father, Father, I am here. The wolf has swallowed me. And his father said, Heaven be praised. We have found our dear child again and he told his wife not to use the scythe for fear she should hurt him. Then he aimed a great blow and struck the wolf on the head and killed him on the spot. And when he was dead, they set Tom free. Ah, said the father, what fears we have had for you. Yes, father, answered he. I've travelled all over the world, I think, in one way or other, since we parted. And now I'm very glad to come home and get fresh air again. Why? Where have you been? said his father. I have been in a mouse hole, and in a snail shell, and down a cow's throat, and in the wolf's belly, and yet here I am again, safe and sound. Well, said they, you are come back, and we will not sell you again for all the riches in the world. Then they hugged and kissed their dear little son, and gave him plenty to eat and drink, for he was very hungry. And then they fetched new clothes for him for his old ones had been quite spoiled on his journey. So Master Thumb stayed at home with his father and mother in peace, for though he had been so great a traveller and had done and seen so many fine things, and was fond enough of telling the whole story, he always agreed that after all, there's no place like home. Lily and the Lion A merchant who had three daughters was once setting out upon a journey. But before he went, he asked each daughter what gift he should bring back for her. The eldest wished for pearls, the second for jewels, and the third, who was called Lily, said, Dear father, bring me a rose. Now it was no easy task to find a rose, for it was the middle of winter. Yet, as she was his prettiest daughter and was very fond of flowers, her father said that he would try what he could do. So he kissed all three and bid them goodbye. And when the time came for him to go home, he had bought pearls and jewels for the two eldest, but he had sought everywhere in vain for the rose. And when he went into any garden and asked for such a thing, the people laughed at him and asked whether he thought roses grew in snow. This grieved him very much, for Lily was his dearest child and as he was journeying home, thinking what he should bring her, he came to a fine castle, and around the castle was a garden, in one half of which it seemed to be summertime, and in the other half, winter. On one side, the finest flowers were in full bloom, and on the other, everything looked dreary and buried in snow. A lucky hit, said he, as he called to his servant, and told him, "'to go to a beautiful bed of roses that was there "'and bring him away one of the finest flowers. "'This done, they were riding away well pleased "'when up sprang a fierce lion and roared out, "'Whoever has stolen my roses shall be eaten up alive.' "'Then the man said, "'I knew not that the garden belonged to you. "'Can nothing save my life?' "'No,' said the lion, "'nothing.' unless you undertake to give me whatever meets you on your return home. If you agree to this, I will give you your life, and the rose too, for your daughter. But the man was unwilling to do so and said, It may be my youngest daughter, who loves me most, and always runs to meet me when I go home. Then the servant was greatly frightened and said, It may perhaps only be a cat or a dog. And at last, the man yielded with a heavy heart and took the rose and said he would give the lion whatever should meet him first on his return. And, as he came near home, it was Lily, his youngest and dearest daughter, that met him. She came running and kissed him and welcomed him home, and when she saw that he had brought her of the rose, she was still more glad. But her father began to be very sorrowful and to weep, saying, Alas, my dearest child, I have bought this flower at a high price, for I have said I would give you to a wild lion, and when he has you, he will tear you in pieces and eat you. Then he told her all that had happened, and said she should not go, let what would happen. But she comforted him and said, Dear father, the word you have given must be kept. I will go to the lion and soothe him. Perhaps he will let me come safe home again. The next morning she asked the way she was to go, and took leave of her father, and went forth with a bold heart into the wood. But the lion was an enchanted prince. By day he and all his court were lions, but in the evening they took their right forms again. And when Lily came to the castle, he welcomed her so courteously that she agreed to marry him. The wedding feast was held, and they lived happily together a long time. The prince was only to be seen as soon as evening came, and then he held his court. But every morning he left his bride and went away by himself, she knew not whither, till the night came again. After some time he said to her, Tomorrow there will be a great feast in your father's house for your eldest is to be married, and if you wish to go and visit her, my lions will lead you thither. But then she rejoiced much at the thoughts of seeing her father once more and set out with the lions, and everyone was overjoyed to see her, for they had thought her dead long since. But she told them how happy she was, and stayed till the feast was over, and then went back to the wood. Her second sister was soon after married, and when Lily was asked to go to the wedding, she said to the prince, I will not go alone this time, you must go with me. But he would not, and said that it would be a very hazardous thing. For if the least ray of the torch light should fall upon him, his enchantment would become still worse, for he should be changed into a dove, and be forced to wander about the world for seven long years. However, she gave him no rest, and said she would take care no light should fall upon him. So at last they set out together, and took with them their little child. And she chose a large hall with thick walls for him to sit in, while the wedding torches were lighted, but unluckily no one saw that there was a crack in the door. Then the wedding was held with great pomp, but as the train came from the church and passed with the torches before the hall, a very small ray of light fell upon the prince. In a moment he disappeared, and when his wife came in and looked for him, she found only a white dove, and it said to her, Seven years must I fly up and down over the face of the earth. But every now and then I will let fall a white feather that will show you the way I am going. Follow it, and at last you may overtake and set me free. This said, he flew out at the door, and poor Lily followed. And every now and then a white feather fell and showed her the way she was to journey. Thus she went roving on through the wide world, and looked neither to the right hand nor to the left, nor took any rest for seven years. Then she began to be glad, and thought to herself that the time was fast coming when all her trouble should end. Yet repose was still far off. For one day, as she was travelling on, she missed the white feather, and when she looked up her eyes, she could nowhere see the dove. Now, thought she to herself, no aid of man can be of use to me. So she went to the sun and said, Thou shinest, everywhere, on the hill's top and the valley's depth. Hast thou anywhere seen my white dove? No, said the sun, I have not seen it. But I will give thee a box. Open it when thy hour of need comes. So she thanked the sun and went on her way till evening tide. And when the moon rose, she cried unto it and said, Thou shinest through the night over field and grove. Hast thou nowhere seen my white dove? No, said the moon, I cannot help thee, but I will give thee an egg. Break it when need comes. Then she thanked the moon and went on till the night wind blew, and she raised up her voice to it and said, Thou blowest through every tree and under every leaf. Hast thou not seen my white dove? No, said the night wind but I will ask three other winds, perhaps they have seen it. Then the east wind and the west wind came, and said they too had not seen it. But the south wind said, I have seen the white dove. He has fled to the Red Sea, and is changed once more into a lion, for the seven years are passed away. And there he is fighting with a dragon, and the dragon is an enchanted princess who seeks to separate him from you. Then the night wind said, I will give thee counsel go to the Red Sea. On the right shore stand many rods, count them. And when thou comest to the eleventh, break it off, and smite the dragon with it. And so the lion will have the victory, and both of them will appear to you in their own forms. Then look round, and thou wilt see a griffin, wing-like bird, sitting by the Red Sea. Jump on to his back with thy beloved one as quickly as possible, and he will carry you over the waters to your home. I will also give thee this nut, continued the night wind. When you are halfway over, throw it down, and out of the waters will immediately spring up a high nut tree on which the griffin will be able to rest. Otherwise, he will not have the strength to bear you the whole way. If, therefore, thou dost forget to throw down the nut, he will let you both fall into the sea. So our poor wanderer went forth and found all as the night wind had said. And she plucked the eleventh rod and smote the dragon, and the lion forthwith became a prince, and the dragon a princess again. But no sooner was the princess released from the spell than she seized the prince by the arm and sprang on to the griffin's back, and went off, carrying the prince away with her. Thus the unhappy traveller was again forsaken and forlorn, and she took heart and said, As far as the wind blows, and so long as the cock crows, I will journey on till I find him once again. So she went on for a long, long way, till at length she came to the castle, whither the princess had carried the prince. And there was a feast got ready, and she heard that the wedding was about to be held. Heaven, aid me now, said she. And she took the box that the sun had given her, and found that within it lay a dress as dazzling as the sun itself. So she put it on, and went into the palace and all the people gazed upon her, and the dress pleased the bride so much that she asked whether it was to be sold. Not for gold and silver, said she, but for flesh and blood. The princess asked what she meant, and she said, Let me speak with the bridegroom this night in his chamber, and I will give thee the dress. At last the princess agreed, but she told her chamberlain to give the prince a sleeping draught that he might not hear or see her. When evening came and the prince had fallen asleep, she was led into his chamber, and she sat herself down at his feet and said, I have followed thee seven years. I have been to the sun, the moon, and the night wind to seek thee, and at last I have helped thee to overcome the dragon. Wilt thou then forget me quite? But the prince, all the time, slept so soundly that her voice only passed over him and seemed like the whistling of the wind among the fir trees. Then poor Lily was led away and forced to give up the golden dress. And when she saw that there was no help for her, she went out into the meadow and sat herself down and wept. But as she sat, she bethought herself of the egg that the moon had given her. And when she broke it, there ran out a hen and twelve chicks of pure gold that played about and then nestled under the old one's wings, so as to form the most beautiful sight in the world and she rose up and drove them before her, till the bride saw them from her window, and was so pleased that she came forth and asked if she would sell the brood. Not for gold or silver, but for flesh and blood. Let me again this evening speak with the bridegroom in his chamber, and I will give thee the whole brood. Then the princess thought to betray her as before, and agreed to what she asked. But when the prince went to his chamber, he asked the chamberlain why the wind had whistled so in the night. And the chamberlain told him all, how he had been given a sleeping draft, and how a poor maiden had come and spoken to him in his chamber, and was to come again that night. Then the prince took care to throw away the sleeping draft, and when Lily came and began again to tell him what woes had befallen her, and how faithful and true to him she had been, he knew his beloved wife's voice, and sprang up and said, "'You have awakened me as from a dream.' The strange princess had thrown a spell around me, so that I had altogether forgotten you. But heaven hath sent you to me in a lucky hour. And they stole away out of the palace by night unawares, and seated themselves on the griffin, who flew back with them over the Red Sea. When they were halfway across, Lily let the nut fall into the water, and immediately a large nut tree arose from the sea, whereon the griffin rested for a while, and then carried them safely home. There they found their child, now grown up to be comely and fair, and after all their troubles, they lived happily together to the end of their days. Good night.